hello and hold on let, let me let me change my name because it, it it bothers me that this zoom account says antonio not tony uh i don't know with with the hair like it is it's a bit antonio banderas i think it's gotta be <laughs> thank come you. on it's full I, desperado I, 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 a young antonio banderas absolutely okay so let's try this again okay so hello and welcome to uh Raving and ranting with Ed Halsey and Tony Kanyas, uh, also known as uh, Profiles in Risk, episode 350 or so. Uh, so today I have Ed Halsey uh, across the pond, uh, melting in the middle of a heat wave on August the second. So uh, if he looks if he looks a little uh, sweaty, uh, it's because uh, the UK is not built for uh, extreme temperatures of this sort. And I I, I had him turn off the fan because it was causing noise uh so ed and ed has been on the, on the on the podcast before i'll do my best to include the link for the for the old episode uh ed great seeing you today so other than melting great. how are you doing great seeing you too um yeah i'm all right it's just very very hot here it's actually the temperature's not too bad it's the humidity um we stupidly build all our houses to keep the heat in uh not to get it out so uh Yeah, I'm definitely going to be investing in some UK air conditioning sellers um, in the future because I think we're <laughs> headed that way. Okay, awesome. Uh, so you have been in insurance for a good while and then you've went off on your own and have founded like, what, like two startups now in the space? Yeah, just, just yeah, as many as I can get my hands on. No, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I was... I was, I, I'd done lots of different roles. So I started off as an underwriter um, and worked my way up through kind of AXA, Aviva or Norwich Union as it was back then in all in commercial classes of business. Um, and then, uh, and then kind of moved into a little bit of consultancy and then moved into uh, a little bit of selling kind of technology solutions in. And I think it was, it was during that phase where I was selling technology into insurance that I kind of realized Oh, there's a lot of inefficiencies here that we need to we need to kind of fix, and I think I can fix them. And I'd really like to go and set something up. And I didn't quite go out on my own. Uh, Co-founded Hub with uh, Mark and John Costello um, about two years ago now. Um, actually, longer than that, three years ago, June 2019, I think we originally uh, came up with the plan. And uh, yeah, we've now just gone through our first year of trading. Um, as a fully regulated FCA broker, um, okay. and it's been a very, a very exciting year for us. So the the broker is that hub, hub. Okay, H U B B. Yes. Okay, H U B B. Which which initially, um, hub started off as it was an acronym for honest usage based broking, um, and the idea of honest usage based broking is honesty first and foremost. Uh, but the usage-based broking part of it initially started off that we we kind of had this idea that with with commissions getting out of control in a lot of areas um, and no longer necessarily being reflective of the service that customers are getting, but instead being reflective of the customer acquisition costs that we're facing in the industry, particularly with, you okay. know, pay-per-click costs being $55 and up, um, you know, acquisitions being up to 21 times EBITDA. Um 
you know, we, we're seeing the high acquisition costs, and that's now what the customers were paying for. So we kind of went, well, hang on a minute. Why are they paying it? Why is the customer acquisition cost so high? Why is it costing to service it? And then stripping that back and relating what they pay more closely with the service that they're going to require throughout the year, aligning the two. However, the usage-based broking part of the, the issue we found as we were going on was a lot of people thought they knew what we meant by it. They went, oh, they just sell usage-based products. Uh, no, not that isn't what we do. And I can see why they would jump to that. Yeah. The, the idea was that it was the usage, uh, the, the broking element of the uh, relationship with the customer that was going to be usage-based. So the amount of service they had from the broker was usage-based during the year. Um, but it didn't really translate. So we're kind of moving away from that slowly, um, still keeping the name, um, but just moving away from that phrasing and finding other ways to better articulate what it is and how we do it. Okay. Okay. So, so is it is it is it a fee based brokerage, as opposed to a commission based? Uh, so, in the majority of cases, yes, it, okay, it will awesome. be fee based. But in some cases, it will be commission if that's what's in the customer's best interest. So, for example, sometimes it might be in the customer's best interest to. Uh, for us to do everything through the insurer because they want to put the whole amount on premium finance with the insurer. So it's all about what's in the best interest of the customer. But the more important point of it is not whether it's fee-based or whether it's commission-based. It's that um, we take the same amount of earnings from every insurer, which enables us to be impartial. So we're not there going, oh, well, this one over here we get 35 points on and this one over here we get 15 guess which one we're going to recommend it takes away that temptation so it's it's flat across there it should be an amount that is commensurate with the work that that customer's going to do um, and it should always and this is the the strongest thing we have and the thing that's resonated with customers more is it should always be proactively disclosed to the customer we shouldn't wait as the fca says for us to be asked what are we paying? We did a survey and 76% of people had no idea what they were paying for commission to their broker for the service. So how do they know whether it's good value or not? They don't because they don't know what it costs. Yep. Yep. And that, that just feels, that feels inherently wrong to me. Um, if, if something's a good deal, something's great. If you, you had a special offer on at the moment and it was incredible value, you'd shout about it, right? So why are we not shouting about commission levels? <laughs> no figure. Um, I mean, ultimately, commission as a, um, for me, commission as a mechanism is mental. It's broken. It, it makes no sense to anyone logical, but it's been normalized within the insurance industry. If you, if you think about it and kind of deconstruct it, you're basically going to a broker, and because of the nature of commission, it being a percentage of the premium, and you're beating them with the carrot and feeding them the stick. You're essentially saying to them, if you get me a better deal on my insurance, I'm going to pay you less. Okay. If you I, get me I a have worse ask, deal, I, I'll pay I you more. I have to ask, is, is that a British saying or, or is that a, an Edism? Yes, it must uh, it's, be. It's a British saying. I, I, I've never no, heard I that thought one. it was That's a British fantastic. saying. It might be an Edism. Yeah. Um, okay. No, it's, it's, about, um, it's, it's this idea of uh, reward and punishment. Um, so you 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 beat them with the stick and you feed them the carrot. And the feeding them the carrot is you give them something nice to get them to do what you want. Or beating them with the stick is you give them a punishment for. I mean, this it sounds really brutal now. The fact that that phrase is is normalised is a little bit scary. But um, 
but the idea is being it, it for me it feels back to front because you're rewarding them for getting you a worse deal and punishing them for getting you a better deal it's back to front um, yes 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 absolutely i i've always liked yeah. the idea of of, of a fee based brokerage where mm. where where if if they save you money like they don't lose money on saving your money because why would they save you money right uh, yeah so, yeah it should be now, the other way around right that if you get me a better deal and save me money i pay you more not not pay you less exactly it should um, be a win-win for 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 both of us uh abs- absolutely so, so now it drives the, descri- the right behaviors the the description on linkedin says uh, award-winning AI automation and science and data science-backed broken platform. So, uh, so I am curious, uh, how does the AI automation and data science play other than uh, good marketing? Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett, and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years. I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses, and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week, I create a new podcast which answers one of your questions, and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com or just search David Barnett's Small Business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around. It's a lot more than good marketing, thankfully. Um, you know, what, what we've done is we've, we've massively, in a lot of cases, reduced, in the majority of cases, reduced the cost of buying insurance. And the only way we can do that is to strip out a lot of the administrative work so 63 percent up to 63 percent of a broker's day can be spent on admin so, so you can no, take no, that no. out of the equation now no, in, in in the uk if, if i'm not mistaken and I've, I've never sold insurance much less in the uk but in the uk if i'm not mista- mm. mistaken that 63 percent is mostly the bar tab the pub uh tab for for from the broker meeting with the underwriter in the pub to write your your insurance <laughs> in the back of a napkin right I think I think in certain in certain classes of business in certain parts of the market maybe, but you know a lot of a lot of it's e traded and it's online and the like, and that's and that's not really it's not sixty three percent of cost, it's sixty three percent of their day is spent on petty admin. So sixty three percent is spent on low value like low value tasks that aren't really benefiting anyone. Um, Double keying and the like that was in the the future of commercial insurance broking, which was a study done by the. CII with with PFK Little John, um, so they're spending sixty three percent. So if you can bring that down, you can bring the cost down. Now this is where, um, you know, we we because we're going on to a fee basis, our fees are a lot lower than commissions are in the majority of cases, um, which is why we're finding it really easy to uh, win new business. Ultimately, we're saying, do you want that same AXA policy, but do you want to pay twenty percent less for it? Yeah. Thanks. It's not a hard sale in that sense. It's the same policy. Uh, we're just selling it for less because we've made the administrative burden of of placing it with AXA, Aviva, Allianz, whoever it may be, all the A's there. Um, but whoever we've placed it, we've made the process of that much less onerous on us. And you raise a fair point, right, that how much of the insurance uh, premium that you pay and the commission that you pay is actually going on the insurance and the servicing of the insurance and how much of it is going on well, we need the account exec to have a BMW 3 Series and spend most of the day traveling around the M25 to get to see someone. How much of it is that golf day? 
um, that they need to attend every day. I paid a lot of golf when I worked in the on the insurer side of things. Um, I, I I got my handicap down to a very good level at one point. Um, you know, and it's all about that entertainment and all that stuff that the customer doesn't care about. They just want the product that they need at the lowest possible price. That's all they want. That's, that's all they care about is those two things, the right cover and the lowest possible price to pay for the right cover. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think you've really got to question how much of that money actually goes into the insurance and the servicing of it and how much goes on other things and kind of takes us back to the customer acquisition cost at the start of the conversation, which is a huge part of the equation, a huge problem. Okay. And and at the same time as as, as you co-founded hub you also co-founded a marketing agency specifically to help your competitors market against you if i if i'm not mistaken uh, which is, which uh, is no not quite not okay. quite not quite um so didn't co-found that one that one is all mine all okay, mine okay. i was greedy on that one uh, um and evermore is um it's more of a uh initially when i started out i was really vague on what evermore was on purpose i was kind of like so, look let's not pigeonhole a, ourselves a, too much a brand to let you play whatever uh extra yeah. you want to play okay it, it was a it was it was really a side hustle while we set hub up and it was a i want to do a bit of consultancy with this company over here and a bit of a few videos over here and i had this mm. idea for the evermore studio and how i was going to do all those and and create this kind of virtual digital studio but, that but, i didn't by the have way, guests the, on the, the, the best production quality of anything within the insurance space, like State Farm commercials in the states, have less quality than than than, than the original Ever Evermore stuff. I make I make the, the production quality as good as possible to make up for my complete lack of charm on it. Um, it it's essentially the number of people who've watched it is quite scary. Actually, they watch it and they all say to me, they go, "Do you know who you remind me of on it? Has anyone ever mentioned you?" you you're just like David Brent. And I'm like, you know, uh, Ricky Gervais in the office, his character in, in the proper office, not Steve Carell. Okay. Don't don't uh -huh. come at me with Steve Carell was the, uh, the Ricky Gervais version. And they say to me, they're like, oh, you know, you sound just like Ricky Gervais when he's, when he's playing David Brent. And I'm like, that's not accidental. I'm not Brenting my way through every day of my working life. Like, it's quite, it's a character. It's a bit of a, a, a caricature, although... People watching this now will probably go, Man, I'm not so sure it is. <laughs> the, <laughs> he is a bit Brent. Um, the, but... the, 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 the Trump inspired series uh, that I, I think oh. came out this year, that one was just hilarious. Yeah. That, that, so that, um, I'd love to claim that that was my idea. Um, it wasn't. Um, I have to be honest, I hated the idea uh, when we first came up with it. Um, it, it, it wasn't. Uh, we, we were kind of brainstorming ideas of things we wanted to do. And I was kind of like, ah, oh, don't you know, is, is the, is the Trump thing over and is it a bit played out? And, and, and the thing, the conclusion I came to was, look, if we're going to do this, a, we've got to do it properly. And B, we've got to work really hard on the scripts, the scripts, it will live and die on the scripts. It can't just be at this point, a lazy Trump parody and kind of just poking fun at him. So it uh, it was all about the execution for me. The idea, I was like, ah, but if we can get the execution right, and I think I think we made a good play at the execution. I think you know we set we we 
as with most things I do, completely over-engineered it. Uh, Ronald Rump, as his name was in the series, he had his own Twitter page. He'd been tweeting on his Twitter page for like three months prior to the release. There's a rumpinsurance.com website, which is a complete, like we literally took the donaldjtrump.com website and recreated it as rump insurance with the, the actor on it. And um, <laughs> I had yeah, you can actually, fantastic. yeah, you can visit the website and it, it sort of says at the bottom that, you know, this, whereas at the bottom of the Trump one, it says, um, our, our campaign has been funded by people who have, uh, there we go. Uh, yeah, our campaign so, has been. Uh, for, 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 for those listening to this on the podcast side, click on the video link and come look at the, or go to rumpinsurance.com so, because I'm showing the, the website. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So we, uh, so at the bottom, I think if you scroll in, yeah, paid, uh, it says normally, uh, the campaign is paid for by donations and ours says, you know, paid for by customer commissions, broking fees, work transfer fees, insurance profit shares, paid by play fees, uh, marketing budgets in inverted commas, premium finance overriders, document issue fees, not authorized whatsoever by anyone or likely even a real business. The scary thing is, the scary thing is this website probably gets more hits even now than a lot of actual legitimate broking websites the hits on it are absolutely uh insane and the number of inquiries we've actually had um on the People website have been looking for insurance yeah no who, who actually think it's who actually think it's real and and contact us um you know it's, it's a bit placeholder in parts on the website i wasn't going to design a whole website i'm not mental um, but yeah, so he's got his own LinkedIn. Yeah, so it's, uh, so he had this. He's got he's got a LinkedIn page, and what we did was every time we released an episode, uh, we'd pre-scheduled all of the tweets that Romp would make along with it. So when it like went out at I don't know ten o three a.m. at ten o five, he'd be saying that didn't happen. I deny that, and then people who liked the comments on LinkedIn or liked the video, he'd start arguing with them on LinkedIn as an actual character. It, it was all wildly over-engineered, but I had a lot of fun with it, if I'm honest, Tony. It was it was all a bit ridiculous. So, so but um, Did this in some way bring business? Like, did it bring revenue to Hub or... Mm. Okay, 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 okay. So it was... It, yeah, so, yeah absolutely. I mean, okay. absolutely. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it had... Just to put it into perspective, I, I I don't know what the last count was, but it had kind of half a million views across all channels, which is no mean feat for a bit of like pretty niche, uh, pretty niche content. I think every episode was getting just on on YouTube alone was getting something like twenty five, anywhere from fifteen to twenty thousand kind of views an episode. Um, LinkedIn, then it was getting we were embedding it in LinkedIn and embedding it on Twitter. So yeah, uh, it, it did quite well on TikTok as well. I think it's Episodes one to eight are kind of, if you search the InsureTech hashtag on TikTok, they're like um, of the top 25 videos on InsureTech. I think they make up eight of them. Um, they're, they're all in the top 25. So no, it was it was great. And we had a lot of inquiries and it created a lot of noise. And for us, it was a branding thing of going, we're here. We don't mind if we upset you. Um, we are going to say things you are not going to like, and this is how brash about it we're going to be. Um, and that resonated as much in the industry as it did out of the industry. So it started a lot of great conversations for us with insurers, for example, who went, this is brilliant. We love it. You know, how can we be a part of it? 
um, that, that otherwise you might not have got agencies with or might not have gotten into those conversations. So, yeah, for, for, for what was actually a, a pretty um, a pretty fair budget, it, it returned okay. tenfold. <laughs> so I, I, a quick parenthesis, I just noticed the lightsaber behind you which yes very likely makes this the uh uh only episode of any insurance show ever where both of the nerds <laughs> have night nice lightsabers uh in in the <laughs> so, somehow I'm such I, a loser. I I I I I can't I can't feel like, like yours should be red uh but but uh oh, charming Charming. I'm a, I'm a Sith Lord. Brilliant. It should obviously be pink. It should be hub pink and purple with a like gradient glow through it. That's uh, if I could get that lightsaber made, I would. Uh, okay. So, so part, part of, 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 of what led us to, to record again was uh, your ranting and raving about how the industry can better recruit. Uh, and how, how we can better yes. attract talent. So, so let's let's have that conversation. What 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 is it that we, that we should be doing that we're not doing to attract talent? Moving is right up there with death and divorce in the Stress Olympics. But fear not, turn that box of woes into a crate of woes with moving tips in the Life Beyond Boxes podcast with Premium Q Moving. Dive into the world of hassle-free moves, learn tips and tricks to save on cash and your sanity. Say goodbye to those moving meltdowns and hello to the smooth sailings. Or should we say smooth movings? Tune into Life Beyond Boxes with Premium Q Moving on lifebeyondboxes.com or find us on your favorite podcast platform. And with us, unpack the secrets to a stress-free move. And I think there's so there's so many there's so many things we need to be doing better as an industry in terms of attracting talent. I mean, I went to I went to Beaver this year, um, and anyone who's uh, Beaver's like the big agent event that we have. The 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 brokers all come, and there's I think there's about eight thousand people come to it. All the brokers across the UK, um, and and I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to preach about diversity right we've got a problem in the industry with it everyone knows that but it's not just the diversity issue that that's there it's just everyone talks the same and everyone sounds the same and everyone uses the same language and the same i mean you know you're considered an outlier if you wear like brown shoes with your suit it's just so and and we wonder why we've got like there's a phrase here that that um I don't I don't know if it I suspect it doesn't follow over to the states but there's a there's a phrase in the city that they say no brown in town and what they mean is you shouldn't wear a brown suit shouldn't wear brown shoes etc and I'm like and we wonder why we can't innovate as an industry that the biggest crime you can commit is you might have a different color pair of shoes on I mean like like really people are we are we honestly in that situation and, it, and you look at it is is that an insurance thing. Or, or is that a British thing? Like, like, like no, 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 oh, no brown it. in town. Is, is that like regardless? That's of what a good you... question. I've only ever worked in insurance, so I only know it as being in. I only know it as being part of insurance. Okay. I, I've heard it said a hundred times over in the square mile in London. Um, so that's a good question that I don't actually know the answer. To. I suspect it's a. I think it's an. It's certainly a. I think it's like a BFSI thing. 
banking, financial services, okay. insurance thing, mm-hmm. um, and probably more of a, a and certainly a, it's a London thing rather than a than a, a regional thing. Um, but yeah, so you've got stupid stuff like that that goes on that you just think, God, we wonder why we're not really innovating. And the the other one that that always kind of makes me, um, I get quite heated about. Um, I'll try not to rant and rave too much on your podcast, Tony. I don't want people to oh, switch no, off. This, but this, this, um, this is the 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 Ed's rant uh, edition. Right, brilliant. Uh, Shut we'll, the door. Lock everyone in. Like, we'll, we'll have a content. Um, right, we're going in. <laughs> um, no, so so I, I mean, one such example of it, right, was uh, we became the first. Uh, we put our big press release and did a big loads of PR and the like about the fact we became this kind of the first, the world's first metaverse-ready insurance broker. What, and what the problem I, is... Okay, so, so so I know what the metaverse is. What, yes. what, is, what is a metaverse-ready insurance company? So, good question, Tony. I'm glad you asked. You're like a pro at this. Um, no, so it, it's uh, the... Being the world's first metaverse-ready insurance broker was... I do not, and, and this is the problem. Everyone saw the word metaverse broker and everyone reads the headline and goes, oh, look at these idiots. They think they're going to sell insurance in the metaverse. Oh, this is a big waste of money. It's a fad. That's not what we're saying. And if you read the actual body of the, the articles that we were putting out, that was never what we were saying. We weren't saying we're going to go and sell millions of pounds worth of insurance in the metaverse. What we were doing was going, we are, if anyone wants to meet us in the metaverse, we're ready to greet you in the metaverse. However... That's not what we're using it for. We're using it to onboard, um, onboard new staff, training, board meetings, um, you know, planning sessions, collaboration things, workshops. Um, we we do kind of like uh, team days, team building exercises. So we go to Top Golf and have a knock around at Top Golf in the metaverse together. And what that does is it enables your team to feel like they're in a room together without all the cost and the time of having to get them from all over the UK to one place. It's like a halfway house of, okay. I mean, cause yeah, I'm, I'm down in Kent and Mark and John, my co-founders, they're in, they're in Glasgow. So it's the next best thing of us constantly being up and down or going to see each other to be face to face, but still having that feeling, still being able to see body language, still being able to feel like you're in a room and, and to a point interact with people. Um, and 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 the reason the reason I kind of get quite impassioned by it is because of that first bit. The people read the headline and they dismissed it. They went, "Ah, stupid! It's a fad." Everyone does that in insurance, and it really annoys me. Stop saying it's a fad. Stop commenting on things you don't yet know about. How many of you that and 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 I looked down the lens. How many of you read that article and went, "Stupid! It's a fad." How many of those people? And be honest with yourself. Have been into the metaverse. How many of you, you have used it? How many of you have tried it for yourself? And the answer is zero um, in almost all cases. But they're commenting on it and dismissing it instantly because of them understanding 1% of what it is and how it can be used. And that's a really dangerous mentality to have in any industry, but particularly in insurance, because we need to understand new things. We need to understand new exposures. We need to see where opportunity arises, where risk is emerging. So if we're just going, oh, that's silly, I'm not going to look at it. Uh, that seems a little bit, that seems a little bit more of a reflection on them 
not being willing to learn something new um, and not being willing to expand their horizons than us being stupid for going, well, there's a lot of hype about this. Let's see how we can use it. Let's see uh, what benefits we can get from it. And moreover, what's a VR headset? 200 quid? 200 pounds? Two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah. The, the quest it's, two is is yeah. It, it, yeah. It's portable. Yeah. Fail fast. Fail fast. Just try it. See if it works for you. Get it out as a team, and that's what we did. We bought a limited number of headsets to start with, and have gradually rolled them out amongst the team, and and kind of gone top to top down in terms of okay, you're on the senior management team, you get a VR headset. Started off as just John, Mark, and I seeing how we got on with it, and just gradually scaling it across the business. And as soon as it stops working, as soon as that isn't the better solution um, than than other options, then we stop doing it. It's fine. Um, but that's that's kind of, and and that's the bit that taking you back to the conversation you said about um, you asked about how we get talent, for example, um, to a craft. Is that the kind of is that the kind of mindset that new talent want to join? Closed mindsets. Do they want to come to an industry that goes all? Oh, Oh, we don't know about that new stuff. That's, you know, do they want to be working on? And if you've got one, I sympathize for you. Probably not going to get a sponsorship from them after this. If you've got an IBM ThinkPad um, in one of those brick-like laptops, do they want to be working on one of those? Or do they want to go and work for, you know, I I remember when uh, Flock Flock were out there and part of their advertising for new jobs was, not when they were, they still are, Um, but, but, part of their advertising is come and work for us you'll get a macbook pro brilliant insurers aren't doing that because they go all mac we couldn't possibly i'll I'll tell you what like in 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 my world uh my ability to work from a mac even if it's my own mac which i do i do Mm. work from and i have at my last two jobs uh it would be very expensive to pay me enough to be willing to give that up Right, but, but, but why? Because I spend ten hours a day on it, and and it's so much why? better. Uh, yeah. So, so and and of course, the leadership in our, in our industry thinks that that's absolutely ridiculous. They're like, what do you care what computer you work in? Right. Well, yeah, it's crazy. Well, I have but, choices. But they're this. <laughs> but they're the same. They're the same leadership who will spend five thousand pound a day with a top consulting firm to go why are my staff not productive enough i work on a 49 inch ultra wide monitor um it's it's I, I can't remember the exact stats but loosely takes about a month in terms of productivity gain it takes about a month for you to earn back the cost of it in increased productivity i have like three windows open anytime if you see me now when you were sharing the uh rump website earlier you went over there on my screen I've got so much real estate to have things open. I'm not constantly flicking between windows and trying to find stuff. Um, I, it's I, much I, easier, much easier to work with. I, I'm on a 49-inch ultra-wide also, and, and it, it's amazing. There we go. Uh, absolutely amazing. Um, Probably the best investment I made, actually, in terms, of, in terms of pure productivity and kind of value for money. Yeah, a, a massively important investment I made. But I, but I think all of this, all of this goes back to... Other industries are doing it. Other industries are willing to show. I mean, pre-COVID, um, it was completely unfathomable for anyone in the insurance industry that not being physically in the office was an option. Which is no, we don't do that. Can't do that. It's. I, I heard the word a lot. It's impossible. It's not feasible. And then COVID hits, and all of a sudden, it becomes very feasible very quickly. Um, I, 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 I made a, I made a video prior to COVID. Where, where and it's still still on YouTube. Uh, where where I said, 
Um, what we do in insurance, 95 to 99% of it can be done remotely. If, if you're not being remote friendly, you either have bad management or bad technology. And then COVID yeah. happened, right? And now we all have the technology. So the only option left is bad management. And from the recruiting perspective, I, I, I at least here in the States, I can tell you, holy crap. Uh, it is so hard to recruit for roles that are not remote. Uh, quite, and, and on the other hand, like, like I am, uh, I, I think my, my, my business model, I don't know if I, if I should say this out loud, uh, hopefully anybody made it 35 minutes into the, to the, uh, to, to the recording. Their, their Sorry fans, if you did. They, they, they won't be offended. Uh, but, but I'm starting to realize in, in my new business, uh, you know, recruiting, uh, I'm starting to realize my business model is I partner with InsurTechs to find them experience in, uh, insurance talent remotely. And I steal that talent from traditional carriers and brokers that are not being remote friendly. And it is very, yes. very easy. Uh, I, 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 I've stolen, I don't know, like 15 account managers uh, from different agencies in the last few weeks for the mm. single reason that, that they've been forced to go back to the office and, and they don't want to be in the office and there's no need for them to be in the office. And my client yeah. is incredibly remote friendly. Uh, and it, it, it makes it, it's like printing money. <laughs> like, like yeah. I, I call them and, uh, and I, I know that I have a fantastic job for, for them, uh, b b because the, the pay is, is, is good. Uh, they're probably not getting a raise. They might be, but the biggest thing they're getting is a hundred percent remote. Yeah. Which is, and, and that goes back to certainly in my, in my hub with my hub hat on, um, which is really my only hat at the moment ever more is, is very much um not really anything anyway it's never more um is probably the reality of it um yeah, we do some some bits and pieces here and there but um you know with my hub hat on it takes you back to that customer acquisition cost piece that we were talking about and actually for me they're going oh well we, they're just undercutting us wow they're, they're not making any money i'm like yeah but i'm not sending someone around the m25 in that bmw 3 series who's going to want to buy bmw 4 series next year because um, they're going to want to see progression. And I'm not sending them around there every renewal going around the M25 with rising petrol costs and putting them in a million pound office, a million pound a month office in London, um, you know, and making and having to pay them London waiting so that uh, they can get a train into London. And that's so, so my, my, my cost base is so much lower because I can go to them, you can work at home, we'll give you a device, we'll secure the device. We'll get you to work in, you know, in on the cloud in, in our platforms that are all secured and encrypted. Um, and you can work the hours you want with flexibility as long as there's coverage. And we don't expect you to be, you don't have to be up at five in the morning to be on a six o'clock train to get into London in time. You'll be with your family. You can kiss your kids, for, uh, kiss your kids, kid, kiss your kids goodnight every night. You can eat dinner with your wife. You can eat dinner with your husband, um, you know, it's so much healthier. I was so much happier when I started working from home. I'm not sure my wife is because she has to see me more. But other than that, um, it's much better. And, and and I think that that's reflective of how just about everybody, except for very high level executives who had a very nice, uh, right, who, who, who have uh, stay at home wives uh, and a very, very nice uh, uh, 
I mean, I mean, I, and, and, and have a very, very nice uh, office, right? They're not in, in an open cubicle uh, setup. I think just about every. And, and, and if they're a senior executive, they probably live in London. They can probably afford a house in London, like, so I, they just hop on the tube. It, it, it's so interesting to 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 see how uh, that difference, right? And, and the executives are, don't understand why the the younger crowd is is uh, is, is being lazy. Right, they, they, they perceive the younger crowd as as, as lazy, uh, yeah, because they don't understand how different it is. How the younger crowd is, is commuting an hour and a half uh, to be in an yeah. uncomfortable open office environment, and they're like, "What do you What do you mean? The office is fantastic, right?" Because they have a fantastic setup. I think is I think as well they they kind of see it as being. Oh, they're lazy and they measure it on their own scale. I don't know about you, but when I was in my early 20s, anyone who worked with me, sorry, um, you know, I was lazy. When, you, when you're early 20s, your priorities are elsewhere. Of course, you're lazy. You're not, um, you, you're in a different place. And also, you're remunerated to be lazy. You're on, you know, I started off my first job with 12 and a half thousand pounds a year. Um, so don't Mr. Exec on 300,000 pounds a year tell me I'm lazy and because I don't want to commute and I'm not committed. Um, you were lazy back then. It probably wasn't until your mid-20s and your 30s when you started getting paid enough to justify doing it that you, that you were getting along. So well, I, I, it, it's all a... Mm. If, if the UK is anything like, the, like, the, like, like corporate US... Uh, that executive is not only well paid, but also has a large variable uh, performance-based pay. So, so, so they have every incentive, right? The the, the kid getting paid, you know, thirty-five thousand a year here here in, in, in a low-cost living area of the states, not only mm. is not getting paid enough to care too much, but also whether they bust their ass or 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 whether they don't makes no difference in in their in, because no. they they don't have a variable piece or if they do it's it's <laughs> tiny and 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 related to overall company performance which they have zero effect on right so uh, funny enough i i had a uh, two similar conversations that the first one was when i left an employer um and i left a, a big company to go to a, a startup and I remember the boss calling me in and she said, uh, after I'd resigned, she went, I, I don't, I think you're making the wrong decision. I think you're, um, you know, I don't understand why you, you're doing well here. I don't understand why you would leave here to go and work for a tin pot company. And I said to her, well, that's the phrasing she used, charming. Um, and I said, um, you've got to understand here, I am just, uh, when I go there, I can be the hands and arms of the operation or the mouth, more likely for me. Um, whereas here I'm just a blood cell and even blood cells have to follow veins, whether I have a brilliant year or not has no impact. And I want more responsibility than that. I want to be held accountable. I want to influence the success and failure of the business that I work for and be able to see that. But more importantly, I want to be remunerated for it. Um, and I remember one of my, this, this is dreadful, and it was really petulant at the time, but I, I'd scored a big deal, right, on my way out the door um, just just before I'd resigned and before I was planning on going, but it was only a couple of months before. Um, big deal. And my boss rang me up, and she went, oh, you must be buzzing. You must be over the moon. I went, meh. 
And she went, well, you've just, you've just closed a £2 million deal. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm still going to get paid the same at the end of the year. And now I've just got loads of extra work to do to transfer all of this business in. And I'm going to have to project manage it. And if it goes wrong, it's going to be my fault. And, and, and that's a really petulant and poor view to have on it. And you grow with age and know that. But actually, the point of what I was saying was true, which was, I remember sitting there at the end of the year and I got a top five, I was in the top 5% in the company and I got a top bonus, right? And because of what I earned, because I was in a, a higher tax bracket than some of the other people, there was other people who got low performance bonuses who took home more money than me in the top 5%, because so I'm taxed more on it. And I'm just like, why did I even bother? Like, it, and it was it, the difference between a top tier bonus and a mid tier or even getting a bonus was like 1200 quid. So what, 15, 1600 dollars for a year's work. And I was like, 1600 quid worth it for, uh, sorry, 1200 quid worth it for busting your backside all year round. And then it, it takes me on to conversations we have at Hub or, or conversations I had about someone I used to work for who couldn't understand why everyone didn't care as much as them. Um, and I was chatting with uh, someone else about this the other day who will remain nameless, who isn't at Hub. Um, and they were saying they, they learned this lesson that you, know, you can't expect everyone to care as much as you do as the owner of the business if they don't have the same skin in the game. If you own 80% of the business or you own 60% or 50% of it and they earn 0.5% they own or nothing, of course, they don't care as much about the success and failure. They care about them. They care about what's in my pocket at the end of every month. That's just natural human nature. That's not greed. It's just logic. Um, and I think that's a really important point as well in, in attracting recruitment. Be realistic about what, what people are going to come in and do, what how committed they're going to be. Um, but I, I just think the main problem we've got is it's not a very appealing industry. I love insurance. And you find that anyone who comes into insurance doesn't leave we all stay um we we and that's there's there's a reason for that right it's secure and there's good prospects and you can work in different areas it's a great industry but from the outside looking in do you look at insurance and think oh that's a bit oh that's a bit exciting no you just see loads of gray dudes in suits rambling on at conferences in the most unentertaining way possible um just talking about the intricacies of Rwandan reinsurance and like just who cares no one yeah. cares so so it is interesting it is a wonderful industry but it doesn't look like it you're absolutely right mm. uh and he, here here in the states uh, the conclusion that i've come to is it is a wonderful industry but the entry level jobs are really crappy and they've gotten worse over time right yeah. and and not only are they crappy you 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 can put up with with a crappy job uh if you have a long-term plan if you have visibility as to the better jobs later on and you have a plan on how to get there the reality mm -hmm. of this here in the states is we hire the kids throw them in a call center or throw them in, in, in entry-level claims or at a state farm uh, local agency, uh, and we let them rot, and, and then they leave. And, and then at the same time, I go to the conferences, I go to, to APCIA or to CPCU or, or whatever, 
and the leadership is, is, is going, why can't we retain our young professionals? Mm. Well, you threw them in a call center and, you know, uh, 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 metaphorically uh, chained them to their desk, uh, treated them like a 50-year-old, uh, punished them for going to the bathroom, uh, and uh, didn't tell them that there are great careers in insurance. And, and, and they had no idea how to get to those great careers uh, like insurance nerds exists for the for the very purpose of doing that because the carriers just don't do it, uh, and 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 we haven't even talked about claims like in the, in the claim space now that is uh, just so many just horrific jobs in entry level claims here in the states. I, I don't know if it's better over in the UK, but but here it's uh, it's it's a burnout factory. Yeah, I think it I think it can be. I mean, there's there's. There's no greater burnout factory than than sales. Uh, that's that's horrific. But, but in, in sales, um, the, the few survivors make a ton of money. There's not yes, a lot of yeah. them, but the few that do make a ton of money. Yes. Um, whereas in claims, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, it's difficult for me to say. I, claims was never something I worked in, but my wife did work in claims. She loved it. She worked for, and, and I'll name drop them, she worked for Cavea, where she worked for Sterling. Um, who were latterly bought by Kavaya, who were a brilliant employer for her. She came home with a smile on her face every day. They treated her with respect. They gave her opportunities. They paid her well. They were fair with her. Um, you know, credit to them. They were they were they were a great employer. She was very happy when she was there, um, and she loved her job. She loved that. Um, and I guess some of its mindset. She loved the fact that when people were at their lowest low. And she said sometimes it was it was harrowing, sometimes it was difficult. But when they were the lowest low, she could be the one that was there to pick them up. And that's a beautiful mentality to have. That's what claims should be about. That's what, what all of us when, in insurance when, should be there to do. When claims is is, is done well, it absolutely <laughs> has that. Uh, yeah. Here in the States, we've call centerized it. We've taken out all the good stuff in, in many cases, right? Some companies, like mm. Cincinnati Insurance is, is wonderful. Cincinnati Insurance is a super regional medium-sized carrier that has a thousand field adjusters to this day and those field adjusters have wonderful jobs uh, and they treat the clients mm. wonderfully uh but on average the large carriers have moved to a call center model where uh the, you you lose the human side of of dealing with with people face to face and by moving them to the phone, now people are more likely to 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 be mean to you or, or right to to be less patient with you and le less likely to be understanding. And mm. uh, even, even, so my, my best friend Andrew Holland uh, grew up at Nationwide in claims, and then he moved over to Cincinnati Insurance, where he's done very well. Back at Nationwide, mm. uh, Nationwide had had figured out that the worst states for uh, fraud were uh, Texas and Florida. So they chose a few of their best people and had them handle bodily injury claims only Texas and Florida. So, 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 so right, with the idea that, that those people are really good at what they do and those are the most difficult claims. Well, yeah, but what you're doing is you're burning them out because every claim they touch is an extremely difficult claim likely to have fraud. Uh, yeah, the, the way we it, yeah, it's, it's deep, it's deeply carriers. unpleasant. I mean, that was the the most harrowing thing was that that was how I found out that I'm not your best friend. 
um in that conversation it it that 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 was that's broken oh. my heart um but <laughs> uh, but but one one of the things that came up earlier that I, I was interested to ask you is have, in the states have they got um have insurers got as big an obsession with graduates as they have in the UK because uh, that's always with, been a bit with, of a uh, with chip on my shoulder degrees, with 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 university yes yeah. yeah they yeah. they used to I, I think it's gotten better so let's say five mm. six years ago yes it was very hard to get a job it, it, going like, like like going back to 2010 when I started in insurance uh just after the recession you couldn't get a call center job with without a college degree uh it, it's gotten better they, they've they've uh mm. they're a lot more open-minded now especially if you, if you have experience if you come from like an agency or if you come from like a construction background which would be useful for property claims or if you come from mm. from a mechanic background which would be useful for for auto claims uh for motor claims uh then they, they become more open-minded uh so in, in the uk are, are they the still thoroughly obsessed with with uh degrees yeah some some insurers more than others um it has to be said um i found it i just found it mega frustrating i didn't i didn't get my degree um fun story i dropped out at the end of my second year because uh, i got offered a record deal in the states true story you, you got a, a record deal I went and lived in the States. Yeah, I got a record deal. Um, so, so I didn't. That's not on your LinkedIn. I don't put that on my LinkedIn because uh, it's so... it's not as interesting as insurance, obviously. Uh... So are, are, are we are we talking country music? Are we talking rap? Uh... Yes, I was. I I was. I was. That was very Brent. Um, uh, yeah, I was merging country and rap in one. I was like the the early Lil Nas X. I I, I really um, feel like you're pulling my leg right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I am. That's that's oh. British sarcasm coming okay, through. Okay, okay, uh, okay. No, I was I was kind of. Uh, it was at a time. Um, it was at a time when Craig David was was kind of big. So it was it was that kind of early R and B garage oh, pop okay, okay. type music. Um, yeah, less said about it the better. Um, but you you can <laughs> find remnants of it online. Um, but but. Um, so I didn't have a degree. So I I I was quite lucky to the oh, first oh, role oh, I got. Quick 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 parenthesis. So now yes. I'm assuming that all of the content creation you do is for no other reason than to bury the the old record the, the old yes. music career deeper and deeper down the, the down it's on SEO on. SEO burial. It's, it's, SEO it's just defense. yeah, just okay. get yeah. exactly that. I, yeah, I get it now. Um, anyway, continue. Yeah. Um. So so. I, I didn't have a degree, so I, I found it quite difficult. And and I know there was a lot of other people I worked with that we we looked around, and there was people who'd gotten degrees who weren't the hardest workers in the room. They weren't the smartest people in the room. They weren't the but because they'd managed to get on a grad scheme because they got like a two one in a completely unrelated degree and managed to convince to get on the grad scheme. They were just getting constant promotions and constant so, pay rises. So, but, but, whilst but, the people but, who are busting. But by, by, by grad scheme, you mean they came in on on a training program? Basically. Essentially, yes. The, okay, okay, yeah. okay. So, so they yeah. would constantly get promoted compared to, to yeah, because like it was it was in their, their contracts bar. that okay. yeah, it was in their you're, you're like killing yourself, and you're like, yeah, they would. They, it would be like part of their training plan that if you achieve X, you will get Y. If you do your 
your ACII qualification, you'll get a pay rise to this, and it, and it, so they have these these whole careers mapped out for them. Also, so so we're with, not talking for the first two years. We're talking for like uh, a long maybe maybe okay. it was maybe it was for a but but once you're on that path, you you you've had the promotions versus yeah, there was some really talented people I was working with. They were just killing themselves every day, and you just saw them flat, and you were like, what? And they're watching people around them, and it's it's um. It, it it caused you a disillusion. One of my oh, it, of I'll never forget. One of my one of my bosses said to me, "I I, I love the guy. He was brilliant. Um, he's my favourite person I've ever worked for to this day." But he said something that should have made me absolutely lose the plot, but I didn't. I just laughed because um, I liked him so much. But he said to me once, he goes, "Do you know why I love you, Ed?" And I went, "Why is that?" He went, "Because you're as smart as a grad, but I don't have to pay you as much." That's what he said <laughs> in a, in an actual one to one, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's kind of true." <laughs> and yeah, you kind of yeah. realize how ridiculous uh, it is. I, but I, but I, I, I want to start planning my own company today on company time, and and and, and then, yeah, yeah, and, and, and I'm yeah. gonna be on, I'm gonna take advantage of European labor laws to have you pay me for three months while I while while I get my company. Uh, yeah. uh, that that's, is incredible. But, but, but I, but I quite liked his. I quite liked his honesty. I quite liked uh, his candor. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was sort of joking, and it was. And we had the relationship that he could say that to me. But I, it did make me laugh. But well, I think I, fundamentally, go ahead. It comes back to the comes back to the education system's broken. Um, and I'm, I'm going off on a high horse again. But we've got this education system right, where we've gone out into the world, and we at this point have established that there are lots of different learning styles that people have, mm, right? Yeah. And then we go. We're going to give people these bits of paper that give them a massive advantage over everyone else because they are familiar with and they thrive under one under one learning style, which yep. is can you sit and be talked at, remember it and regurgitate it, and that's yep. it, and that's and that and that's how we, and then we'll give you a degree at the end of it and you're an advantage and all the other learning styles and all the other ways that people think and we we talk about kind of neurodivergence is that the right phrasing with is is that is that yeah so yeah so so people whose brains just work differently and that doesn't mean um and my brain works way differently to most normal people i'm you can see that from the content i produce and it, it doesn't work like a it, it works an odd way i get agitated about things i shouldn't and and and, and it yeah. makes an amazing marketer it just makes you different that's that's it it, it makes your rhythms different to everyone else it makes it makes you able to cut through the noise more. So th this whole, oh, well, you haven't got that, so you're no use to me, is such a naive approach in recruitment. It's like, I want as many different viewpoints, as many different skills, no, and, as and, many different worldviews. And, and, and the research today, it, this wasn't the case 20 years ago, but the research today is very clear that the more diverse and the more neurodiverse your company is, especially your leadership, the more, the better it performs. So, it, so diversity—it's no longer. Let, let's work on 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 our, on our diversity inclusion because it's the right thing to do. It goes beyond that. Companies perform mm. better the more diverse they are. So there's there's a business case to it. But this is just in the last five years, maybe that we we we've we we've we've got proof that that this is important. By the way. Yeah. I, I, I do see that you have your CII, which is, uh, in my mind, the British equivalent of the CPCU in the States or the, uh, 
Is it CIP in Don't Canada? Uh, so anyway, Possibly. once you got your CII, uh, because here I only have my cert. I hasten to add, I only have the cert, which is the 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 start one. Oh, um, okay, okay, okay. So, so here. So you could you would go cert CII, dip CII, and then the the full ACII, which oh, is the okay, okay, okay. the so, so, the big so, boy so, qualification. So here, here in the in the states, uh, my advice to people who did manage to make it into into uh, uh, into a carrier without a degree is don't worry about the degree get your cpcu that that's that's mm. going to help you grow a lot faster than getting the degree maybe maybe one day w w when you're a manager and you're competing for a director level role then maybe yeah finish your degree uh and maybe think about your mba but early on a cpcu in hand will get you out of the call center quickly will will get you out of claims quickly will will mm. will will help you grow within underwriting uh, quickly, uh, yeah. more so than finishing your degree. So so in, in that sense- It's that leg up, isn't it? It's that first it, little leg up to, exactly. to differentiate yourself from all the other, yeah. It, it, see, what I tell people is uh, CPCU gets you the interview and then you get mm -hmm. you the job. Uh, and especially yeah. if, if they're, you know, the, the, the you and me types that were not great students, but that are street smart and have great personalities. Uh, I, I, I like to say C students, I'm, I'm a proud C student. Uh, C, C students are much better negotiators uh, because they have to, they, they, they have to, to survive, right? <laughs> like, like we didn't always have, you know, fantastic grades. We had to negotiate to, to, to graduate basically. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, we, we make fantastic professionals. Uh, but if, if you decide on whether to give me an, inter an interview based on my GPA or, or my, my, I don't know what you call it in, in, in the UK. Right. Uh, but like there are programs here, especially right out of college where they won't interview you unless you have a 3.5 out of four. Uh, so it's something like a nine out of 10 or a 9.2 out of 10, or I don't know how you guys grade in, in the UK. Uh, right. So, so, so you miss out on those programs early on, uh, but once you do make it in, uh, something like CPCU can 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 help you get the interview, and then your your personality can help you actually get the job. So so I th I I think that the U.S. Uh, insurance carriers are less obsessed with education than what I'm hearing from you when it comes to to uh, to to the U.K. carriers or the European carriers. Yeah, just just some of them. Not not all of them. Some were more interested in it than others. But I, yeah, I was just interested as to whether it was similar um, in the states because I just don't. The, 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 there there is one, and I won't mention them by name, but uh, the, there are a regional or super regional carrier uh, who uh, they, they were the very last carrier where you were required to wear a tie to work, uh, and and we're talking like 2017, 2018. You were required to wear a tie to work. Uh, you were required to wear a coat, uh, uh, like a suit coat, and uh, you yeah. could take it off if you were at your desk. But if you got up from your desk, you had to put put the the put it on. And, and uh, they, I interviewed with them in like 2016, and uh, they uh, asked for my transcripts from college. I graduated college in 2006, so 10 years later, they were asking for my transcripts. And not only that, they told me that, that they, they that they would use 
my transcripts and my GPA, my 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 grades from college, uh, as part of the formula that 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 defines the, how much they're gonna offer me. Uh, that's just insane, <laughs> right? And and they I mean, will if, not if... hire somebody without a degree, but they're an exception to the rule nowadays. I mean, if, you're, if your biggest concern as a business owner is walking into your office and seeing that everyone's got ties on, get a grip. Like, get your perspectives right. That It doesn't matter. It's unimportant. Don't kid yourself that walking out into the, into the floor and seeing everyone in, in ties, don't kid yourself that that's culture. That's not culture. That's just you enforcing stupid, pointless rules and making people less happy in their job day to day so uh, around 2019 a little bit before covid they they finally got rid of of, of the rule for the ties and and they they, they announced it in, a, in an email so 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 i wasn't there because i never worked for them but but i heard the story from multiple people where, where everybody's working and then a, a mass email comes out and then there is literally cheering in the halls and people are running around with scissors cutting each other's ties. Uh, that is how much they hated the role. Uh, so, so yeah, it is. Absolutely that's not, that's not something to. That's not something to sell. So that's to me that that's the wrong way around. That's not something to celebrate as a business that we've made this great progressive change. It's if you see that level of happiness that they've got rid of them, that tells you how much they hated it. That, exactly. How many people did you lose Precisely because of that? Yeah. Yeah, how unhappy are they? How less productive are they? How many people did you lose to people who weren't as archaic? And it's just, it's just well, mental. And, and and today's version of that is not letting people be remote. It, it, it's just mental, Ooh. right? You're 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 losing a ton of of great talent that doesn't even have to move. In order to 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 get another job, uh, and, and the better job, uh, and replacing them is going to cost you a lot more because you're you're going to have to overpay in the market to convince somebody with the right skill set to be willing to relocate or even just to commute when they don't have to when they have other options that are just as good where they don't have to you're going to have to overpay in my opinion by twenty or twenty five percent probably. In order to hmm. to to get the right person, uh, and and that's going to kill your expense ratio. Uh, so, so, so are you a are you a supporter of fully remote or hybrid? Uh, I, I'm not a remote absolutist. I, I don't think that that it's the only option. What I am is let 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 the employee choose. Measure me on productivity. And mm -hmm. if I want to come in, let me come in. If I live nearby, uh, and uh, if if I'm not performing, fire me on, on lack of productivity. Uh, and and if 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 I want to come in, let me come in. And if I don't want to come in, don't make me come in. And if you're gonna force me to come in, uh, force me to come in rarely. And uh, I, I call it uh, present for a purpose. If I'm coming in, we. we if you're forcing me to come in, you should be forcing me to come in because we are doing something that benefits from me being here, not just mm. my day job, right? So, so tra uh, training is better in person, in my, in my, especially if you're going to put me through like a day of training. It's busy, right. Uh, there is some relationship building that that is better in person. Uh, uh, Jacobson, the company that I worked for for four and a half years, actually did it really well. The, after the pandemic, mm. they let us all go remote, and basically said. 
let's come in twice a year. We'll pay for everybody to come in twice a year, even if they don't live in town. And we will celebrate training and uh, things that benefit from being in person. The rest mm. of the time, do your day job from wherever you want. As long as you're performing, we don't care. I think that's that's something close to the right attitude. That, that's yeah. It's uh, I, I just think I think some people they like having people in the office. And they like that sense of presenteeism because they confuse um, they confuse people being there and people were like it, it's the same people who confuse. We had a meeting about it. So that's progress. And it's like, no, the progress is when someone writes up the meeting notes and does something with what you've discussed. Actually having the meeting was no progress. It, 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 unless something happens with it, you're still at the same point you were before that. And it's those same people who are like, oh, yeah, well, we had, I had, I mean, Andre Symes, I remember him saying this to me a while ago. And it was like, you know, just this notion in, uh, lockdown of getting out of this. I got up at, at six o'clock this morning. I was on my first meeting at 7am and I had my last meeting at eight o'clock at night and they were just all back to back Zoom calls constantly with meetings. And it's like, they're not productive. There's no point. Have three meetings a day and just make them the best meetings you'll have all day. Be really punchy, be really quick, be really concise. Um, I used to like Aston Lark had a great idea that when you used to go and visit them when they were Aston Scott, um, they're a broker in the UK, um, they wouldn't let you have comfy chairs. They'd make you sit on these stools in the trading room so that you didn't want to sit there and just chat for 20 minutes. You were like, this is really uncomfortable. This is what I need from you. This is what you need from me. Let's get this done and then let's move on. I thought that was a great idea because it just forced everyone not to do what I've done and, and wrap it on for an hour and six minutes um, you know, about about everything. <laughs> Um, we, we have gone a little long, so, so, uh, I, I agree. Uh, and any, any, any last, uh, deep thoughts, uh, before we close off today? Oh, deep thoughts. Yes. Here's my deep thought. And this is more of a, this, this kind of goes into some of the, um, the, the core talk stuff that we've done. Um, core talk series two is coming out shortly and my goodness me, are you in for, uh, some treats of that? We've really, you say you think the production was good on the old stuff. It's even better on this uh, this new series. We've really ramped it up. Um, but take that as a motivation, right? When you're dealing with customers and when you're dealing with other people in the industry and when you're doing stuff online, and I think you're great at this, Tony, um, be interesting. For the love of God, be interesting. Um, I can't watch any more webinars or people talking at the camera who are just droning on like this I, about the people I, want entertaining the point it, it, that, that's how life is. And, and the thing that annoys me about it is that the same people who are creating that content, the same people who are talking on stage in that way, the same people who are writing blogs for them. They also want entertaining. They also watch entertaining stuff. They know what entertainment looks like but they just don't put the effort in. They just deliver this bland, opinionless they, um, they, they, they nonsense. They think that, that, that insurance has to be serious or they, they think that, yeah. that insurance has to be corporate and, and it doesn't. Mm. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of technically strong 
uh, know your shit. I, I, you know, I, the, before I became active in, in the industry, uh, the first thing I did is I got a bunch of education. Uh, but once you know your stuff, yeah, the, be interesting about it. I agree completely. I, there are episodes of the podcast that never air because I could not, during recording, I could not find a way, usually a tech co-founder, I could not f- find a way to, to, to make it engaging. And so I'm we, a tech co-founder. Is so that, we, is that <laughs> your sort of way of telling me that <laughs> this is never going to air, Ed? You've, you've uh, taught nonsense for an hour and six minutes. <laughs> I will be telling you exactly which day it'll come out as soon as we're done recording. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> the, the, there are episodes that, that never go live be, because uh, the, the the actuary on the other side, <laughs> I just yeah. could not get yeah. him to to engage. They were they were super you, just you don't, dry. I think the thing that people don't understand when I say that is they they sometimes they throw it back at you and they go, "Well, not everyone's funny." Not everyone, not everyone's you know, got jokes to tell. Not everyone's. It's like it's not about being funny. It's about being engaging. Yes, like I agree. question time in the UK is interesting. Um, a political debate is interesting because it's it's got some passion to it and it's got some structure to it and it's got interesting points and counter arguments and but just talking flatly at the camera or it's just dull. Everyone's got some interesting stories. For the love of God, share them. Um, yeah, that's my my closing thought. Be you. Be authentic. Stop trying to be bland because don't kid yourself. No one's watching. No one's listening. They listen for the first minute, and if you're boring, they're gone. I lost everyone 58 minutes ago. It, at best, if they're still here at this point, I'm sorry. It's going to be my mum. No, one, no one's listening. No one's got time to listen to me for over an hour. Come on now. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ed, it's, it's been fun as always. Uh, and uh, you you will always be close to my heart in in, in, in the episode where, where we did our best to have a lightsaber fight uh, via Zoom. Um, thank you yes, for joining me thank today. Thank you. Have a Appreciate great it. Good fun.